Um, when Ryan asked me to speak, can you hear me? Am I like, okay, let me see if that, is that better? Am I just like blowing your eardrums out? Okay. When Ryan asked me to speak, I had already spoken to um, the youth and we did a youth worship night and I spoke on worship and he was like, actually just do that message. So I said, okay. So I'm back with that message. Apologies to those of youth who are in here and heard it, but you get to hear it again, but I have new stories, so you will enjoy the new stories that I have. Um, but first, I want to ask you a question. Have you noticed the price of things lately? It seems like everything's going up, and it's from gas to food to lumber. I mean, like, I felt like people were having to, go, like, take out a mortgage just to go to Lowe's. Like, they're going to check you at a casino or something, like, check you at the door, see how much money you had on hand lest you run away with a two-by-four. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I thought about this. And have you noticed that you and I, generally the, the prices are changing, but we only care about the things that matter to us. So, like, I may have said something and, like lumber, and some of you may have had no idea that lumber was expensive because it didn't matter to you because you didn't use it every day. Um, but, you know, gas is one thing that we pretty much all use, and we... You know, we use it every day we go to work, but I bet people that live in inner cities, not anywhere around here, but um, that can get on a bus and walk everywhere, they don't think anything about gas, and they probably think that we actually could have electric cars. And I was talking to Julia the other day, I was like, you know, if we got an electric car, we'd have to charge it in between of going to church and back. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it's just one of those things, when you think about Prices are changing, and we're focusing on those things. It's easy to focus on those things and see them in the news. But today I want to talk to you about the cost of something that's super important. In fact, and I think don't, a lot of Christians don't really think about the cost of this thing. And if they did, it would change their lives. But first, I want to tell you a story about something that, a cost of something that none of us, I think none of us, Okay, can you put this picture up, please? Okay, this is a painting by an English street artist called Banksy. And no, my wife did not know who this was either, so. This is a famous artist, okay? And the person won't tell who they are because they're actually a graffiti artist. Okay, so in October of 2018, this piece was spray-painted on canvas and was called Girl with Balloons, was auctioned, at Sotheby's in London for $1.4 million. Okay, so, okay, can you go to the next picture now? Okay, moments after the gavel went down, the picture was shredded. So half of that picture went down um, out of it and it shredded at the bottom. And no one knew this was gonna happen other than the creator. Sotheby's didn't know it, the person who bought it didn't know it, it just shredded. So everyone's looking at this. It just quietly slid down and cut this picture all to pieces. So the creator made a video and posted it on Instagram about him making actually this frame. And it had knives in the bottom of it. And it slid it down and cut it. So got a problem, right? $1.4 million. Somebody just bought this painting and it's shredded. Okay. So, and evidently this piece is super popular. Um, when I was looking this information up on the internet, a print popped up on Amazon, 
And you can own this picture unshredded, or shredded if you want to shred it, I guess, for $12. So you can buy this picture of print and put it up on your um, wall for 12 bucks if you like it. Um, so at the end of the auction, Sotheby's wasn't sure who was going to pay for the painting. You know, they didn't want to have anything to do with it. They said, we didn't know that it was going to be shredded. Um, it was a surprise. And they weren't sure if the person, the woman who bought it, was going to pay for it. Now, when I was reading this story to my wife, I was actually reading it to her this week, and we talked about, like, the typical things you think about with this story. Like, this is outrageous in so many levels. Like, why would anybody, first of all, buy a painting and pay $1.4 million, you know? And secondly, then have it shred, right? So that's a crazy story, and I'm, we're going to keep talking about it later. But the question I want to ask you today is, what is the cost of worship? You know, but before we can really explore that question, we probably should define worship. Now, I grew up in church, and when I was young, I did basically everything at church. And by the time I was 15, I was helping every Sunday with my, um, my local worship uh, team, and I was doing running around doing everything. So I spent a lot of time doing worship and interested in worship. All throughout my whole high school years, my, basically, my only extra activity was worship. And so I studied worship a lot on my own. And you can imagine my surprise when I was talking to God one day, and he said, Aaron, I'm going to read what I wrote down. Aaron, I want you to understand what worship really is. And I said to him, yes, God, I want to have a greater understanding of worship. And he said, no, no, Aaron, I want you to understand what worship really is. Okay, you can imagine my shock after spending like my whole life up to that point in my mind, like focused on worship. And I was like, God, you're saying that I don't know what it actually is, you know? So I wish I could say that I humbled myself in that very moment and let God teach me what worship was. But I didn't. It wasn't three minutes. Like I didn't like say, oh, yes, you're right, God. Tell me what worship is. I was not that smart then. I was not that wise. And so it took me actually several years to come to a definition of worship. I realized at that point that I knew a lot of what worship wasn't. And I knew that it wasn't that, and it wasn't this, and it's not just that, and it's not just this, and it's not just songs, and it's not just, you know, giving, and it's not just the things we do, but I couldn't come up with, a, like, a definition of what worship was. So I'll spare you all the details of my, whatever, three or so year journey to that, and I'll give you my answer. Okay, this is what I felt like um, I, I got to a, a definition of worship. Worship is my compelled response to what the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit accomplished in me in the past, present, and future, as well as the gifts made available to me. Worship is my response, involves all three parts of me, spirit, soul, which includes my mind, will, and emotions, and body, because it involves all three parts of the Godhead. Do you want me to read that again? Is anybody taking notes? My mom is taking notes, so I will read it again. Worship is my compelled response to what the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, accomplished in me in the past, present, and future, as well as the gifts made available to me. 
Worship involves all three parts of me, spirit, soul, which includes my mind, will, and emotions, and body, because it involves all three parts of the Godhead. Now, Paul talks about this in Romans 12.1, and he says, the verses should be up on the screen. One day. He says, are we good? Oh, good. Cool, cool. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And that was in the NIV. Um, Now, Paul is speaking, and he's summing up all of the first 12 chapters of Romans. And so what we're going to do is we're going to start back at chapter 1 in verse 1, and we're going to read every verse up to chapter 12. I'm just kidding, just kidding, we're not into that. <laughs> we're planning our, uh, Ryan told me seven hours, so <laughs> to prepare seven hours of teaching. Um, so he's saying all these things that he said before, and I'm going to summarize everything that he said before. And he's talking about grace, really. And he's talking about Jesus, and he's talking to um, Christian Jews who live in Rome, and he's explaining how salvation works. And he's saying that, he says before, that grace is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Um, And he talks about Jesus paying the price for our sins. And in light of this, um, that we're present our bodies as a living sacrifice in this verse. Now, he's speaking to Jews who are used to sacrifice. And they understood sacrificing bulls and goats to God. And there were still people that day that still wanted to sacrifice Christians. They're like, no, we cannot put this away. We have to keep sacrificing. And so he's really using this to teach them and show them, look, it's not the bulls and goats that God wants. Jesus said in Matthew 9, and he's quoting Hosea, and he tells the Pharisees, find out what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And It's God speaking to the people of Israel, and he's saying, like, guys, all along, I never wanted you to sacrifice. I'm pointing you to something else. I'm pointing you to Jesus. So it's not the thing that you're bringing to God because Jesus is the sacrifice, you know? So Paul is using this, and he's saying our bodies are a living sacrifice. In direct opposition to the bulls and goats that were killed, our bodies are alive. God didn't want us as a sacrifice. He wanted us to live for him. Okay, so this verse, I feel like, really encapsulates worship. Because it's not just the songs that we sing or prayers that we pray or the time that we spend in church. But it's really just our whole life from now until eternity that is living. And that's our act of worship. Okay, but I want to focus in. So we've defined worship. Now I want to focus on the cost of worship because it says, it talks about a sacrifice. So something's still being sacrificed. And if there's a sacrifice, there's always a cost. Think about it. If you give something up, if you sacrifice something, there is a cost. So I want to read this story, and it comes from Mark 14, 3. And this is a story about someone's worship. So Jesus was traveling with his disciples And in verse 3 it starts, And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. Um, So this was a super expensive oil. And actually I looked this up and learned this came from the Himalaya mountains. So it can only grow at really high elevation like 
uh, I think it's 9,800 up. So they had to go there. Just think about what it took then. Someone had to travel to the Himalayan mountains, either in you know, India or China or um, uh, what's it, uh, Pakistan, and go up and get this and create oil. So super expensive. So this woman was like the first um, young living oil person. Um, also, also super expensive. Um, so she broke the flask and poured it on his head. And in verse 4 it picks up. But there are some who are indignant among themselves and said, Why is this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 days wages and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. Okay. So they're criticizing her. They're coming against her because they're saying, What a waste. What a waste. Okay, so we're going to look at this same story in Luke 7.36, and it tells it a little bit different. There's a little more um, detail. And then it says, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus at the table in the, sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, this man, talking about Jesus, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And so Simon said, teacher, say it. Okay, before we go on further into the story with the story that Jesus tells, I want to point some things out about this, this woman. Okay, she came, but she was not invited to this party. She walked in uninvited because she had to see Jesus. She took the most important thing that she had, the most valuable thing that she had when she went to see Jesus. And so it talks about it saying 300 days wages, almost a year's wages, that she took and she poured out. And they looked at her and they criticized her and said, you're wasting that. That is a waste. So I want to tell you a story on myself. I used to look at people in, in worship services, in church, and think that same thought. You know, I used to think, oh, that person singing off key or too loud or, you know, or in the back dancing, or waving their flag, you know, mm, that's too much, they need to calm down, you know. So, you know, and then I remembered a story that Ryan and I were talking about, and it was a guy at church that went to this church, and he came home from school, and he said, I'm going to give away my truck. I feel like God told me to give away my truck. And they're like, what are you going to drive? He's like, you know, the new truck that God has for me. They're like, you can't give that away. That's like a waste. You can't give your truck that God's given you. You can't give that away and not know where the other truck is, right? That's a waste. You know, you're wasting your, the thing that you have. Okay, so now we're going to catch back into the story. So Jesus is telling it, and he picks up, in, it's in verse 41 of Luke 7. And there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 days wages and the other 50. When they had nothing with which to repay, the creditor for freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? 
Simon answered and said, well, I suppose the one who, who he forgave more. And Jesus answered him and said, you have rightly judged. Okay, so we can look at this story in terms of worship. We all owe a debt that we can't repay. Um, it doesn't matter if it's a million or if it's one or if it's a tenth or if it's a trillion. If we can't pay it, we can't pay it. Um, the Bible says that if we carried out one sin, that we're guilty of all the sins. So it's, we, if you, it's hard to imagine this because people have this, this innate idea of like, well, I'm a pretty good person. Um, you know, I do good things. I grew up in the church. I, you know, lived a good life. You know, I'm not as bad. Like, God doesn't see me, like, outside of Jesus. He doesn't see me like, you know, Hitler or somebody. But you know what? It's one or hundred, we can't pay the debt. That's why Jesus came, to pay the debt for us. So, this woman was probably a prostitute and had a terrible reputation in town. And she couldn't repay her debt. But neither could the righteous Pharisee who's sitting at the table... He couldn't repay his debt either. He couldn't follow the law, and he couldn't, in his own power, get to heaven. And Jesus was pointing this out. One person owes a lot more, but they're both forgiven. And when you talk about that in the context of worship, we all owe something, and we can't repay it. So then, we're going to pick back up in verse 44. And Jesus turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiving. Okay, I want to point something out. This woman did something, and Jesus forgave her sins. She actually did an act, and Jesus forgave her. Um, what was it? It was her act of worship. She took and wiped his feet with her hair and poured out. She gave everything she had. She poured it out on him. And he, she, in that moment... She said, you are my Lord, and this is all I've got. This is all I have. This is all I can give you. And Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. She didn't pray a sinner's prayer. She didn't, you know, do the things that we're, you know, traditionally understand, like people get saved. And, but Jesus looked at her and said, your sins are forgiven. Okay, so from this story, I feel like there are three things that we can learn from this. There are three choices, really, we can make about worship. Choice number one is that we can look at others and judge religiously. You know, they judged her for who she was, for what she was doing, for the value that she placed on Jesus and the value that she placed on her worship. They looked at what she said, what she did, and they said in verse 5 of Mark 14, for it might have been sold for more than 300 days wages and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. And Jesus said, Let, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done good work for me. For you have the poor with you always. And whenever you wish, you may do them good. But for me, you do not have always. She has done what she could. 
She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will be told as a memorial to her. So Jesus said that what this woman did, you think about this for a second, it's really amazing. The act that she did, wherever in the world of the gospel went, her story would also be told as a memorial to what she did. That's just, that'll blow you away. It blows me away. Um, Number two, the second choice that we can make about worship. We can allow ourselves to be judged by others. Uh, You know, I've led worship for a little while, and people come up to me a lot after worship and say, I felt like God was leading me to step out, um, you know, to go in the back and dance before him or, you know, you know, sing a different song or, you know, have a prayer or, you know, do something that was different. And I thought, what would everybody, what's everybody going to think when I get to step out of the, you know, out of the pew, out, of, out in the middle? I'm, if I go up front, what are people going to think? It's going to be a distraction. So in this story, this woman got criticized for her worship as well. I want to ask you a question and to think about, because this will really change how you think about that, about stepping out. Are we worshiping other people or are we worshiping God? If we're worshiping other people, we should be concerned about what they think because our worship is for them. Like if I give someone a gift, I should, I'm not concerned about somebody else walking by down the street, what they're going to think about the gift that I give. I'm concerned about what the person that I gave the gift to, Right? So if we're worshiping God, if we're giving him our worship, shouldn't we be only concerned about what he says? You know, even people that, that I've heard, you know, heard stories of people stepping out in worship in their church and facing opposition, even from leadership. But, you know, if you're worshiping God, won't God be your defender? Won't he defend you? You know, if you're giving that to God, you know, I won't, I'm all about honoring, you know, those in authority. And I think, God for Ryan and Holly for their you know good leadership and making this a safe place to do that and encouraged, um, but if that's where you're at and that's what God tells you to do, and you're giving it to Him, what does it matter? Everybody else doesn't matter anymore, right? And in, in this story, that's exactly what happens. They're all talking about her, but she's only having a moment with Jesus. You know, the Bible doesn't tell us that she talks to anybody else. She doesn't have any other you know, contact with anybody except it's just her and Jesus, you know? Okay, um, in 1 Timothy 4.12, I'm not sure if you have that verse, maybe. Oh, awesome. Okay, this reminded me of this verse. Um, and I almost, I had this in the youth worship, and I almost took it out, and God said, don't take that out, but leave that in. So Paul is talking to Timothy, and he says, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. So Paul's telling Timothy, don't let other people judge you. Don't let them judge you. Not like, don't, you know, stay away from people that are judging you. He said, don't let them, don't, don't let their judgment come upon you. Um, you're young and called by God. That's what, you know, basically what Paul's telling Timothy. Um, so don't worry what other people think of you. When I was younger, I let people put judgment on me, and I and allowed that to change how I acted. Um, I wanted to do things with excellence, and I wanted to, you know, uh, do things for the Lord. 
And I let people look at me a certain way because I was a certain age. And I felt when I got older, I, God spoke to me and he said, Aaron, if you let people look at you because you're a certain age, people will look at you that way. When you're young, when you're middle-aged, or when you're older, people will still look at you a certain way. And you can't change the way they look at you. But if you let that affect you, it will change what you do and your life. You know, I want to encourage you, if you're, no matter what age you are, don't let people look at you because you're a certain age. You know, whether you're, you know, younger or whether you're older, you should do what God's calling you to do and step out. You know, um, and don't let other people judge you and let that come in between you and stepping out in to doing what God uh, wants and giving you him, you, blah, 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 giving him your worship. Okay, so we're, now we're at the third thing that we can do about worship. So number three, um, we can give what we have to God. And so will you show that um, the Banksy picture again, the, the next one on the list? Okay, so back to the story a little bit. So the buyer, so this was, this was the story that I got from it. I'm just going to read you the story it was in the paper. Um, in 2018, a buyer who purchased a painting by provocative street artist Banksy for $1.4 million, only to have it shred itself moments later, will keep the artwork according to the auction house Sotheby's. The bottom half of the canvas, Girl with Balloon, one of Banksy's most famous works, started descending through a shredder hidden inside the painting's frame right after the hammer fell at auction on October 5th in London, as stunned art collectors looked on. Sotheby's announced on Thursday that the purchaser had decided to keep the altered artwork. The buyer, this is, this is what I want you to focus on, a female European collector and a long-standing client of Sotheby's is proceeding with the purchase at the same price as was achieved in the room on the night, it said. So she decided, she looked at this shredded um, half, you can't even see the main part of the artwork, and she said, I'll, I'll take that. Think about that. Um, now I'm going to read a story from Matthew 13, 44. Jesus is telling um, some parables, and he's got a list of them. And, he, and this is one that I'm going to read to you. In verse 44, he says, The kingdom of heaven, he's explaining how the, what the kingdom of heaven is like, and, you know, excuse me. Um, so he says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid. And for the joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Okay, so Jesus said, this is how the kingdom of heaven is. It's like a treasure that's hidden in a field. Okay, this man cannot afford the treasure that's in the field. But he can afford the field. So he goes and he takes everything he has and sells it and he buys a field but he knows there's treasure in it, okay? Some people would probably look at this guy and say, he is crazy. What's this crazy guy doing? He's selling, he's got, you know, crazy Joe's got, you know, selling all this stuff to buy this field. Sorry, Joe, where's Joe? Oh, yeah, you're not crazy. <laughs> but, okay, so then Jesus, just in the, almost like in the same breath, he tells another story in verse 45. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls who, 
when he found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Okay, so Jesus is telling the exact same story twice. And he's just telling it in a different way. He's like, you have got to get this. This is very important for you to understand. So he says, the kingdom of heaven is like, to make something more clear for you, an expert that's looking at pearls. And if I look at pearls, I couldn't tell you a plastic pearl from a real pearl from a wooden pearl. Don't, don't let me buy the pearls, okay? <laughs> but he's saying an expert looking for treasure. And when they find one pearl that's worth more than what they have, and everybody else may be looking like they all look the same to me, they go and buy that and with everything they have. They trade everything they have, this this merchant and this man that found the treasure, they trade everything they have for the treasure that they found. And he says, this is how not only the kingdom of heaven, this is how you get the kingdom of heaven. You trade what you have, which is small, for what the kingdom of heaven has, which is huge. We're offering up in worship everything we have. Not that we can purchase salvation, but it's all that we can give to God in response. Worship is a response to everything that Jesus gave us. Um, Sometimes we're stingy with our worship. And we devalue what we're getting. We are worshiping in response to what Jesus has done for us, past, present, and future, if you remember my very long, wordy description of worship. Um, but if I give or offer, I should say, $5 for a chair, I'm, setting, I'm saying that's how much I think the chair is worth. When we're stingy with our worship, when we're stingy with what we're giving to God, we're setting a lower value than what we should be setting. Even though we can't truly value what Jesus has done, like we can't pay for that, we can only respond to what we have. Okay, so go back to the Banksy photo or the next one. Okay, so this picture doesn't look like it has much value, but a woman who definitely knows more about art than me decided that it was worth the price. And she said a week later, they asked her, like, you know, why'd you buy that photo that's shredded up? In fact, there was a lot of like news stories on it, and they were like, you know, I guess that's trash. You know, that'll never happen. That person will never buy it. So she decides to buy it, and they asked her. And this is what she said. When the hammer came down last week and the work was shredded, I was at first shocked, but gradually I began to realize that I would end up with my own piece of art history. So what does worship cost? Um, I'm going to read Mark 12, 31. So this is another story, and this is a different aspect of worship, really. Now, Jesus sat opposite the treasury, it's the place where people were putting money in, and saw how the people put money into the treasury, and many who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, so he called his disciples to them, to himself, and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put more 
than all those who have given to the treasury. For they are all put in out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. Giving is an act of worship. You know, if you think about it, the pieces of paper in our pocket have more power for most people than anything else. And if you think about it, it's just paper. Like, you know, if they say, well, you know, money doesn't grow on trees, it actually literally grows on trees because it's made out of paper. Like, it literally, like, there's, you know, the tree out there, Scott, if you made turned it into paper, you've got millions of dollars in that tree, you know? But if you think about it, the paper itself, it can't do anything for you. You know, you can't take that paper and eat it, or, and it can't get you, you know, across the ocean. It really doesn't do anything for you, other than just the idea that it's worth something. Except, think about this, more people have been killed over paper, over, this, over money. More wars have been fought, more terrible things have happened over money, over the love of money. Because it's the root of all evil, the love of it, not it itself. But when we think about that, when we give, we're, the Bible calls the, the, the things that we give, like money, the small thing. If, when it says we're, if you're faithful in little things, actually in the context, that's giving, that money. Like the little thing is actually money. It's not, we think of the big thing as money. Like that's the big thing I need is money but it's actually the little thing. So Jesus is paying attention to the money that people are putting in the offering. He's actually standing there and look. Just imagine if Ryan stood up there and was like, a little more, you know? I know that he doesn't look at that, and I'm thankful for that. But Jesus is looking, and he's paying attention to the people putting money in the offering. And then he sees how much everybody put, and he's counting and he's counting not based on how much. We can see what his value is. It's percentage. So he looks and he calls his disciples over. He's like, come over here. Come look at this. Come look at the offering plate. And he's like, see those two pennies? That's more than everybody else all together put in. Because she put in 100%. Um, because Jesus was looking at the percentage of what she had It's not the amount that he sees, but it's the percentage. It's what you have. It's if you gave everything you had. So then that puts us all on the same playing field. You know, I've I've talked to people and they're like, you know, I just don't feel like I have enough money to give to church. And I'm like, look, you've got enough money. If the widow had two pennies, you got enough. You got a penny? You know, what do you have? You know, that's what God wants to work with. God's not interested in working with something that you don't have. He's interested in what you have in your hand. Okay, so I want to tell you this story, and this really changed my life. A minister friend of mine had, um, was going to meet this famous minister, and he, they'd never met before. And they, he had set up this meeting, and they were going to meet in a coffee shop. And he was like, you know, I'm going to have a, an offering for this other minister. And so he's like, oh, what should I put on this offering? So he's like, I should put $500. He's like, no, I'm going to put $1,000. So he puts $1,000, writes a check out for $1,000 um, to give to this other minister. Now, so when he meets this minister at the coffee shop, he says he's kind of nervous. And, and so he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, well, I've got, a, I've got an offering for you. And so he gives him this check. 
And the, minister, the other minister, famous minister, takes his check and didn't look at it, just stuck in his pocket. And he said um, to the, my minister friend, I have an offering for you, too. He's like, oh, okay. And my minister friend was like, I was kind of nervous. And so I was like, I wonder which one's bigger. He's like, I shouldn't have said that. That was weird. And so, and the, the other minister didn't even bat an eye. He's like, oh, mine's bigger. And he's like, how did you know that? He didn't even look at the check. He's like, okay, this is weird. So they get their coffee and they sit down. And the minister takes his check out and looks at it. And he takes his checkbook out and he writes him a check for $4,000. And so he looks at my young minister friend and he says, God told me that whatever you gave me, I was to quadruple it to you. So he said, and having known that now, would your check been different? And so my, my friend said, well, I know that you're a man of your word and I would be, have to be totally honest with you, yes. He's like, I would have found every penny that I had, all my, I would have emptied out the bank accounts, and I would have written you a huge check knowing that you would have quadrupled it back to me. So the famous minister looked at him, and he said, if that's true, you don't understand God's heart, Jesus' heart for you, because everything that you give to him, he wants to return it back to you. And that, when, I saw, when I heard that, I was like, oh, man, that's changing my life. And my, my minister friend is super generous. He's an amazing, generous person. He really has finances on lock. And he was like, oh, my gosh, that is just like, it's just another level, right? In Luke 6.38, it says, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, it will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, so the same amount, it will be measured back to you. Jesus is looking at who is giving to him because he's looking for someone to give to. Uh, Malachi 3, 8 through 10 says, Will a man rob God? This is Malachi writing to the the people of Israel under um, the power of the Holy Spirit. And he says, Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. And God's speaking to the Israelites, and he says, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And now try me in this, says the Lord of hosts. If, he will not open, if I will not open to you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will be not enough room to receive it, It's not just money that we rob God. We're robbing him of our praise and our worship, our gifts, and we're stealing the rewards of God to us. We're stealing from ourselves because God has rewards for us, but because we're stingy, we can't receive those things. All right, so the shredded picture went up for sale this week. If you'll show the Banksy picture again, the last one, I think. So in September, they estimated the sale price. I'll remind you that they paid, uh, the woman paid $1.4 million for it. So they estimated the sale price um, at five and a half to $8.3 million. But it was placed on auction Thursday, and it sold for more than $25.4 million. Now, 
if anybody had known what this picture was going to sell for three years later, like they owned it for three years, like they would have jumped at the opportunity to invest the meager sum of $1.4 million. <laughs> Be like, let's all get together. <laughs> let you know, another mortgage on the house. <laughs> we can wait three years. You know, it's, but I want you to think about this. God sees the value that you have. That's why Jesus looked at you when he went to the cross and it was his joy because he saw the value that you possess. Now others, or maybe even you, might just see a shredded picture. But God wants to get blessings to you. He wants to get gifts to you. He wants to get even things to you. But is your heart turned towards him because he's watching for you? Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he's a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. You know, when we open our hearts to him in a position of worship, we're pouring out our worship on Jesus. We can be stingy with our worship or our financial gifts if we measure ourselves with the generosity of those around us. If we look around and are like, I am worshiping more than everybody else, that doesn't really matter. Are you worshiping as much as you can? You know, are we pouring out our worship as much as we can? God's not looking at you versus other people. He's looking at you versus what's your potential. So we need to give our all. And when we're giving, we need to give out of a heart that's worshiping and not out of need or obligation. Jesus told his disciples, you'll have the poor with you always. Like, don't, you know, don't get stressed out here you know, about giving to the poor because they're always going to be there and you'll always be able to help them. Don't give out of the fact that they're poor. Give out of the fact that you're worshiping me. So what does worship cost? That was the question I had at the beginning. You know, for some people, it costs their lives, their families, their friends, um, their churches. And for some, it doesn't cost that much. Um, my whole life, I've been freely being able to go to, the, to church and worship God how I please, you know. And I've been able to, to give to the church. And in this country, they even give you a tax break for that, you know. But that's not necessarily how it will always be. But it really doesn't matter what the cost of worship is. It doesn't matter whether it costs a little bit or a lot. All that matters is that we give everything that we have. The Bible says in Romans 8.32, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? God has given us his greatest treasure, and that's Jesus. So why would we withhold anything from us? Why would we withhold anything from him? People will look at you and they will judge you if you live a life of worship. If you pour out your heart to Jesus, they will judge you. You can just count on it. But in the end, does that really matter? Does it matter what people think of us? Or does it matter about a relationship, our moment with God and Jesus? Jesus paid the price. We can't pay our debt. 
But what we can do is be like God and give everything. When we give our worship, we're being like God. If you guys will stand up, I'd like to pray for you. God, I thank you for every person in this room. I thank you, Lord, that you want to bless them and that you are constantly pouring out your blessings on their life. God, I pray that you would just change our minds. Change our minds. Help us renew our minds to your truth that you are pouring out your blessings on us and that we need to withhold nothing from you. That our relationship can be one to one. Just like a husband and wife, that picture, that closeness. God, I pray that you would just help us to worship you with greater abandon. Thank you that we can never outgive you, that we can never repay you. Thank you that we don't have to try. But thank you that you have given us things so that we can give them to you, just like in heaven. When we get crowns, we're going to throw them all at Jesus' feet and say, you are worthy, Jesus. I bless every person in this room that they walk in a greater closeness with God from this point on, closer and closer. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.